Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. So welcome guys, welcome to In The Making at Asia Tech Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We have William Baubin. Who How's has, it going? Who has multiple titles and hats you're wearing. General Partner SOSV, Managing Director at China Accelerator and Managing Director at Mox. And then we have Sebastian, who is the CEO and co-founder of the CareWise. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Nishtha. Thank you. So introduce yourself very quickly. Sebastian, you're up. Yeah, What's the so, CareWise? Um, CareWise, it's, uh, we are Shanghai-based intratech, transforming healthcare to be more consumer-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, we more particularly serve insurers to help them to start to become real partners of the health insurance members. Mm-hmm. Um, so health tech startup. Yeah, health tech, intratech startup. And you have a relationship with William Baubin. Yes, I'm an investor in their company. Uh, they were a uh, proud member of uh, China Accelerator Batch. So how do you manage to wear so many hats, William? No, I, I have uh, one hat. It just has three logos on it. <laughs> so uh, that's the problem. We have one fund. It's SOSV, mm-hmm. uh, $300 million under management. Uh, but we invest through accelerators. Uh, so most VCs are global. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually are local. We're global. Um, and then most VCs, they, they add value through their teams. We add value through uh, accelerators. Uh, so we run two accelerators and they have to have different brands because they serve uh, different purposes, different purposes, offer different services. So China Accelerator helps uh, B2B companies go across Asia mm-hmm. and China market entry and then China out. Uh, whereas MOX, which stands for Mobile Only Accelerator, helps companies from around the world on mobile go into Southeast Asia, South Asia, and soon Eastern Europe, South America, Latin America. And that's how you actually uh, got introduced to Sebastian, right? Yeah, so the we care met at uh, SL, uh, SLP. SLP. So yeah. two associates of mine, two guys that used to work for me, mm-hmm. um, uh, launched the second effort uh, to bring a startup leadership program to Shanghai. Um, and it worked. Uh, and so I was a proud supporter allowing my team to get it you know, running, uh, Sydney and Buzz. Uh, and then uh, Sebastian went through the program, what, three? Yeah, two, three years, two, three years ago. Two, three years ago. I was ago. coming from corporate, so it was good for me to go uh, to find a way to, uh, to learn more about entrepreneurship. So I followed SLP. And um, yeah, we got some exposure because at the end of the program, you pitched to a, right. a group of investors and William uh, was in the, in the jury. So, so let's yeah. put this in context. This conversation is essentially uh, in a very interesting scenario, like uh, William runs an accelerator. Sebastian startup part of the accelerator in the past and now, you know, scaling it up. And me as the podcast host, but also one of the mentors at China Accelerator. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. So let's start with you, Sebastian, in the making. What's your backstory? How did you actually, you're from France, isn't it? How did you land up in Asia, in China, and why? So, yeah, I'm French, and I, I had a career in healthcare. Mm-hmm. I've been having a career in healthcare, working in different um, markets like uh, North America, Europe. And I came here with Sanofi, a major pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. So it was in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent uh, three years working here for them. And um, as part of my role, I had exposure across needs from the from the local market, and uh, because also entrepreneurship was in my, in, in me, mm-hmm. I had like um, student entrepreneurship venture. Right. I had side family business, so I took the chance. You uh, took the chance. So, what was to, the inflection point? You took the chance from a corporate job to a startup founder. I think the, the striking point was to be to be to to face those issues here and mainly the mistrust from consumer for healthcare services. 
I was quite shocked by the waste around this. Mm -hmm. uh, many people move from one hospital to another, don't follow doctor's um, prescriptions because they don't trust the, 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 the call of the doctors. And many industries in China have been changed through the eyes of consumers. So uh, I was thinking about like starting a venture to help people to find out good quality care to help other people experience care. So kind of trip advisor for Ooh. healthcare. So it's how we started. So this was really the trigger. But I, I think I won't have made this jump because it's tough to, to move out from, exactly. a, from a corporate venture if I would have not this entrepreneurship DNA, I guess, to some extent. Committing is uh, like, like I say, yeah. committing to the uncomfortable, right? William, what about you? How did you land up? You've been here. I know you for seven or eight years now. We met a long time ago in Shanghai. What made you jump into Asia and make China as your base, although you're pretty global and regional now? Yeah, sure. So the first time I visited China, I think it was uh, 1986. Mm -hmm. uh, so way back in the day. And at the time, my uncle was a U.S. ambassador to China. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it was an interesting trip, a fun trip. Um, to that point, I didn't have the chance to, to study Chinese. But when I went to college, when I went to university, right. uh, I studied uh, but it was back when people were still studying Japanese. I mm -hmm. mean, they're still studying Japanese, but uh, our school only had two years of Chinese. Um, so the first time I got to live in Asia uh, was junior year abroad uh, when I studied Mandarin in Taiwan. Oh, really? uh, and that really kind of opened my eyes to the opportunities out here. Um, you know, university is a lot about uh, you know studying and, and, and um, playing sports and drinking beer. Um, but um, you know, the, the the people I met in Taiwan were building businesses. One one guy was building the Nike brand in Taiwan, uh, and the the this is in the early '90s. Uh, and so people were doing exciting things, young people, you know, um, and th that really turned me on to the opportunity. So I kept on coming back right. and then back right. and then That's back. Interesting. So that shaped you. So do you think uh, both of you, do you think it's by accident or by design that you have taken on this journey? Your comments on by accident or by design? So I always had a th three to five year plan, mm -hmm. at least in the early years. Um, so I had a, a sense of where I wanted to be in three to five years. Wow. Uh, I generally um, hit that in, uh, in a, a shorter period of time. Um, so I started out f after university in, in to working in Taiwan for U.S. Commerce Department. And uh, I, I figured out pretty quickly that working for the government is uh, not for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, uh, there's only three ways to get a work permit. Mm -hmm. in Taiwan, uh, teaching, which I was sick of, working for the government, which I didn't want to do, right. and working in an investment bank. Uh, so I did the third. Uh, and uh, started off in working in the investment bank. Oh, investment uh, bank. So I, I worked in equity research uh, and I sort of got the bug. It's a lot of fun. You get to uh, uh, predict the future or try, mm -hmm. uh, understand the present and understand and try and predict the future. Uh, but Taiwan, you know, in, in the mid 90s was not the place to learn how to do that. So then I went back to, to Wall Street uh, in New York and joined uh, Bear Stearns. And after that, it's uh, sort of a normal kind of career projection. Um, except uh, <laughs> uh, we had a tech uh, bubble right. uh, pop. Right. Uh, so we wrote it up and we wrote it all the way down and came out to Asia after it popped with Deutsche Bank and then rode the China internet bubble up. Uh, you both sound like so, professional and then, sailors of and your then, career. Uh, yeah, and then, and then um, so I started covering China internet when the total market cap was about $3 billion. Um, in 05. I, I left uh, Deutsche in March 07. Uh, when it was 18 billion, now the value of China Internet is around 2.5 to 2.7 trillion. Right. So it's been a wild ride. 
Uh, and uh, so if you're on the sell side telling other people what to do with their money, um, you quickly get disillusioned because um, if you're any good, you should probably go to the other side and actually put money to work yourself. Um, I tried doing a startup. I suck at it. So I was a, I was a pretty poor CEO. Uh, so what's left, you know, be a VC and help others. Right. But it sounds like both of you tried experimenting and get out of the comfort zone and get your hands dirty and figure it out, right? Yeah, I think on my side, I, 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 I do agree with, with William. I think um, you, you don't come by chance, I think, to, to, to entrepreneurship. Um, for my, I started more as, a, you know, typical um, corporate career. Um, I studied at high school. I was good in science, so I wanted to do more like science studies. So I did a pharmaceutical degrees because I was thinking it's science, but also there are lots of uh, commercial right. uh, out, outcomes that right. you go after. And and quickly when I was um, in pharmaceutical, I was thinking, okay, let's let's start to work in a big pharma, pharma company at that time. Biotech was not really starting. It was right. in the uh, yeah, late 90s. And uh, especially in Europe, so I think okay, I can potentially start by uh, uh, or do an entrepreneurship program after a master in, in pharmacy, but uh, it's maybe too bold. I'm not going to start right away to 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 do a venture. You actually Let's did an entrepreneurship program. We did, uh, I did an MBA just right after. And, can you and learn? Can you learn entrepreneurship? <laughs> there is a very famous one in in, in France, in a okay. part of HEC, um, where they really help you to 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 push yourself and and, and start the just right after school. But um, yeah, I was thinking it's it's maybe too too early for me and. Um, uh, I think pharma was a good school, especially Sanofi, which is a very decentralized company. It grew very fast in, in the, where I spent 10, 10 years there. Um, I was able to strike deals, to launch new products, to launch new services. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's quite a way to fulfill also your, your um, willing to do stuff. Right. But of course, at one point, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't master everything. And, uh, and as soon as you have one idea, this is a trigger and, right. and, and, and you go for it. Of course, the idea then needs to evolve a lot. Right. <laughs> I just heard like a couple of words which everybody is repeating here. But one is entrepreneurship, one is founders and all. Do you guys see any difference between being a founder and an entrepreneur? Um, well, I don't think you can have one without the other. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the founders have to be entrepreneurs. Uh, an entrepreneur is someone who uh, takes risk. Uh, takes chances, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, most normal people uh, don't put all their eggs in one basket. They don't uh, quit their job, use up all their savings to try and do something that's mm -hmm. never been done before. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can found a company, uh, and the company can make you a nice uh, lifestyle type of living. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, an entrepreneur is somebody who founds a company uh, and is trying to, you know, change the world uh, in a significant way. Right. Uh, of course, and hopefully make some money in, in doing <laughs> it, um, but uh, who's, who's trying to uh, change the way things are done. Can an entrepreneur exist in a corporate without being a founder of a startup? It's called differently, right? It's an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. I think there is also a, a category where where you can be entrepreneur, but not necessarily starting as a founder of the company and mm -hmm. then join the company and become a, a co-founder. So... It's more like, a, of course, you have to take risk, right? And, and you become co-founder because actually, even if you come at a later stage, you're going to take a significant risk and you're going to have also yourself skin in right. the game. And still, there are lots to build about this company. So right. People have often asked me also as an entrepreneur, uh, I left my full-time job seven years back to become an entrepreneur. Uh, is this something which is in your DNA or you can learn? What's your answer to that question? So we, we, uh, we actually are, are part of a very long-term study where all the people on our team as well as the founders of all the companies we work 
with uh, take a uh, HBDI uh, Herman brain uh, measurement mm -hmm. test. Uh, so not what a, is that? Um, it's it's a it, it, it's open a questionnaire. Open it's an open questionnaire. questionnaire. It uh, shows how you uh, make decisions uh, and. How you make trade-offs? Yeah. How do you make trade-offs? Uh, and there are people who are actually predisposed uh, to be um, risk takers. Yeah, risk takers, open, kind of entrepreneurial, um, and uh, the complete opposite of that is usually somebody who's like a CFO. Right. Uh, so we tend to not um, see too many of the CFO types who are, are, are very focused on uh, mitigating risk right. uh, in our startups. Because ah, if you're focused on mi risk mitigation, mm -hmm. it, it, actually doing a startup would drive you nuts. So right. we, um, we invest in people who are kind of crazy. Uh, and then uh, we use the accelerator program to filter out the, uh, the insane ones. So all the crazy people yeah. contact William. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then so in your team, you, you need to have a, a few ones who are like maybe more on the mitigation yeah. side or, or sure. give you a different perspective. But of sure. course, yeah. you have to get a few especially, guys yeah. that are that can be bold and, and, and willing sure. to. You know, especially as you especially as you scale up. Right. Um, but uh, you know, as you're growing your business or as you're as an entrepreneur, you have to. The most important thing is to understand um, what it is that you do well, right. and then surround yourself with people who do the things that you don't do well. Indeed. And obviously, uh, they're going to be better at you in those things, uh, and to be okay with that. Um, because uh, one entrepreneur cannot do it alone. That's why we generally do not invest in companies that do not have uh, co-founders. Ah, interesting. Okay, moving on. Whom would you attribute your plunge into this space? You know, today is a great time on this podcast to thank maybe two or three people. You attribute your journey, success, or however it's going. Very often we don't say enough thank you. So whom would you like to say thank you on this show? Yeah, sure. I'll kick off. Um, so I'd say uh, the first one is uh, Andy Neff. Um, you know, I, I, I probably left him in a lurch in that I, I worked for him for three years and then I quit uh, to go to another bank. Uh, but um, the training that he give, gave uh, in terms of the opportunity to uh, work on my own as an associate doing equity research reports and doing the modeling and following him around and learning from uh, his analysis and his approach to covering companies from Apple to Dell to Gateway. Um, you know, at the age of 23, you know, I got to teach Michael Dell how to scroll down on his uh, Blackberry wow. uh, and uh, hang out with some great people and also learn how to approach companies with a very analytical uh, approach, um, not just, uh, you know, uh, qualitative, but quantitative. Um, the second one I'd say is, uh, Kabir Misra, who is, uh, my partner at SoftBank. Uh, he's my counterpart on the banking side at Deutsche Bank. So, um, he, he, he could talk to me only with a lawyer present. Uh, and uh, I would answer, he could only ask me questions. He wasn't allowed to uh, make any statements. Uh, and then uh, my, my job was to answer the questions and he wasn't allowed to say anything, wow. which I think is the basis of a perfect relationship. Uh, but he invited me to join him as a partner at SoftBank China India mm -hmm. uh, after he raised uh, 50 million from Sunsan. Uh, so from 2006, 2007, uh, we ran the, the investments for SoftBank across Asia, and that was a huge learning experience. That was a transition from being a sell-side analyst at Deutsche Bank, you know, covering stocks to actually putting money to work. Right. Uh, wasn't easy. We learned a lot. We made a huge number of mistakes, um, which I am uh, putting to good use now. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I helped him, but he definitely helped me by asking me to join him in the, at SoftBank China India. 
Right. So inviting somebody in. Okay. And Sebastian, you, whom would you like um, to say thank you I'd to? I'd say I have two to pick up in family side and one on the professional. I think mm. first was my dad. Um, he unfortunately died uh, 10 years ago, but uh, he gave me a lot. Uh, he was an entrepreneur. Uh, he was a very strong character, uh, much stronger than I, a uh, very good sales guy. And I think he, he helped me a lot because he pushed me since childhood to go out of my comfort zone. I think he was always willing to see me maybe a bit stronger than I was. Mm -hmm. and, and he was always challenging me. Um, of course, still carrying that, so, uh, but, but really, really tough. So I think that helped me a, bit, a lot to, to shape myself. Um, and very young, he gave me responsibilities. So for instance, uh, 13 years old, I was holding a shop selling shoes. Um, 16 years old, I was taking a sailboat in Mediterranean Sea with 10 young guys bringing back to Brittany, uh, you know, day, sailing day and night. And I was, the, I was 16, I was, I was captain of a boat, right? Wow. That's, that's like good responsibility. So Absolutely. I think that's very good. Uh, second one is, is uh, a professional. I think it was my fir yeah, my first boss mm -hmm. um, in Sanofi. I was I spent like two years rotation program, and then I entered into uh, the uh, corporate uh, business development team. So he was n minus one of the CEO of of, of Sanofi. So he's a top executive, sixty plus years old guy, um, cardiologist, uh, cardiologist. So medical background, very very strong strategic guy, very very organized. Um, and licensing at that time was like dealing with startup biotech in the US uh, and li in licensing their products. So it was check of half million, uh, no, uh, half billion USD to, to more. Uh, so you can imagine the process of evaluation of this kind of, of um, stuff. And I was very young and he took me in his team as 23 years old, mm -hmm. more or less. Uh, quickly, I was appointed the director for North America. Um, give me lots of responsibilities, and I learn a lot through him. That's a that's a common yeah. theme. Somebody who bets on you, and somebody who takes on. It's about mentorship. mentorship. So you need to find mentors. Uh, if you don't have mentors, seek them out. Uh, it's okay to ask, uh, but it, you know sometimes uh, people say no. That's okay too. Um, but it's very important to surround yourselves with people who know more than you or better than you at things. Uh, if you surround yourself with people who are not, um, you know, the, the, your average common den will, denom denominator will, uh, will be lower. Absolutely. So it's why my third one is my wife, right? She's, she's an amazing mm -hmm. person, very different than I am. Uh, uh, very smart, uh, very people-oriented. Uh, but more importantly, she helped me through this journey of entrepreneurship. I had three years without any salary. Uh, and uh, thank you to all took, the amazing took, wives took, and moms. Uh, we had two kids during mm -hmm. that period, um, um, and she's been very patient, very, very patient. William, let's go back to that. Uh, I mean, Asia Tech Podcast in the making, a lot of listeners in about across 45 countries, a lot of them might not know exactly what's happening in China, and especially the model China Accelerator has. Um, how is your accelerator different from the rest, let's say, and uh, this whole model of community-led, network-led, mentor-led. Can you describe a bit about your uh, model of work? Sure. So the major thing that we're different is uh, we're, think about us like a meta accelerator. We're actually signed partnerships with 45 other accelerators from around the world. <coughs> They're mostly focused on geography and getting companies to product market fit, whereas we're focused on cross-border market expansion. So taking companies from around the world and helping them enter Asia, uh, enter China, or go back and forth within Asia. So our companies tend to be a little bit later stage. Over 90% already have product uh, and revenue. 
uh, over 60% have already raised a round of some sort before they come in. Uh, 10 to 20% are already profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have companies coming in that have 50 staff already. Uh, now they're not moving the entire 50 staff into our offices. Uh, but uh, so the, the companies are coming to us because we provide a service which is helping them expand into other countries. Right. Um, so, um, and we do that uh, through uh, mentors. Uh, so when you're going into a new market, uh, just as like when you're first entering your career right. and first starting out, uh, you want to have somebody there keeping an eye on you who've been there, done that, and keep you from falling in the ditches by the side of the road, um, help you make the decisions on which roads to take. Right. Uh, and so we try and provide that for the companies as they go uh, into new markets. Uh, we've got the local experts that can uh, help out, uh, industry experts that can open doors. Uh, and in terms of fundraising, uh, a third group is investors that um, not only invest, but also add value. Right. So how did this courtship start, right? I mean, the Care Voice uh, is one of your ex-batches. Uh, you guys work in batches. So how did the courtship start? Like, how did you actually decide to uh, take Sebastian in your batch? Why? What was the trigger? So um, the pitch at SLP uh, was quite interesting. They solved a, a problem mm-hmm. uh, that I thought was very, very important. Uh, and then I think I had to chase him around a little bit because... Uh, um, you know, he his he was in SLP, but his company in was probably a little bit more mature than the other companies that joined SLP mm-hmm. in terms of well, Sebastian was more mature than the other people in the program, uh, and then uh, you know, so uh, I had to explain to him a few times, I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, why he should come into the program, uh, and um, yeah, so we don't mind chasing around companies that we like. An entrepreneur, it's actually not companies, but entrepreneurs that we like a bit. So what turned you on, Sebastian, to join uh, the Accelerator program? Well, I think William himself was uh, very, very charismatic and, and someone recognized in this field. And um, it was a point of time where we were doing a, a pivot and um, uh, moving to InsurTech. Um, and of course, at that point of time, we were in, in the process of raising funds. Um, and I was thinking, and, and, and William helped me to make this, this decision around like how the accelerator would, would help us in this process of raising funds and, and, and do our conversion to, to InsurTech. And that was really amazing because we, we really joined like maybe four months after our pivot. Mm-hmm. We launched our service for, for insurance with the first insurance clients during the program. And, and, and frankly, we had to really change the way we were talking about the company, measuring uh, uh, our performance um, and, and the methodology of the program push you to, to really make choice and accelerate. Uh, it's very data-driven, uh, how you message, how you, you talk about your company and, and the resources around the mentors, um, the, uh, the investors, even even on the BD side, uh, corporates. So, um, yeah, frankly, it was... Uh, and you were great. with the program for how many weeks? So the program is like three, four months. Correct. And then there is an after uh, program where you can stay and, and, and really advocate for this because then you can still, still stay really six, seven months, uh, more or less. And, and you, you keep being close to, 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 the, to the management of China Accelerator. But anyway, even if you leave, you are still part of it's a big family. Part of the community. And, and, and actually, yeah, as soon as you continue to work and, and you have, I had a topic around like a, um, M&A and, and, and acquisition. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, you, you take the phone, you, you call William and, and you say, okay, uh, this is your situation here, what I think about it and so on. And, and you're going to get great piece of advice. Right. Thanks. So interestingly, like, of course, William, you have lots of startups coming in different batches across the last few years. Not all startups who join an accelerator come out successful or survive to scale up. And you've seen a lot of failures as well. What would you say the top two or three factors 
that contribute to a successful, great acceleration in those three months, let's say? Sure. I think the first one is uh, to be open to coaching, open to experimentation. So we try very hard not to tell our companies what to do, um, but we make a lot of suggestions on things to try. Uh, and the people who are willing to you know, jump off the cliff and try a bunch of new things, even if they think in their heart of hearts that it's probably not going to work, mm-hmm. uh, but they still nonetheless try, um, are the ones that succeed. The second group are the people who you know, basically work hard and don't give up. Uh, so it's very hard work smashing your head against the wall over and over and over again and then and, and, and failing. Uh, so it takes a certain type of personality to um, try lots and lots of things over and over and over again that don't work. Um, usually we try and get to some sort of breakthrough right. uh, during the program, but sometimes that doesn't happen. The companies that perform well are the ones that don't keep up and they keep on experimenting. Right. Uh, because in the end, you're trying to solve a problem that hasn't been solved before or isn't being solved properly. Uh, and so you're trying to come up with a new solution for it. And there's no better way than to you know keep on brainstorming and, and, and try. So we're trying to drive our companies to do three, maybe four, usually not five, but hopefully five experiments a week, uh, wow. which is a, um, a process uh, that they can hopefully take with them uh, for the rest of their, their, their company, even as they scale up. Right. Uh, and then I, I'd say the, the last one um, is, you know, really having uh, the team. Uh, so the team is uh, what we look at, uh, not necessarily the product. So we look at the problem or the, the, the solution that they're bringing to the market um, and uh, the team, not necessarily how they solve it with that uh, product. Right. Uh, and so uh, we've got to have uh, founders are extremely passionate about what they're doing. Uh, and that will lead into the first two. Because right. if you're not passionate about something, you're definitely not going right. to break your head against a wall. Right. So in the making of the Care Voice, when you were, were with the Accelerator, Sebastian, what, was, what do you think were the top one or two or three learnings uh, of, let's say, your success as of now? I think uh, for me, the, the, the major challenge or failures I had were, were, were before, I guess. I mm-hmm. think I joined the accelerator at the right time because I was in a, in a, starting to be in good shape. Of course, I learned a lot. Uh, I mentioned um, data-driven decisions, uh, uh, how to talk about the company for a new, totally new offer. For instance, I learned that we were doing a SaaS for insurers. Right? Uh, before that, it was not obvious for me. I was not coming from a tech background that we were doing a software as a service for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, it changed a lot the way you are like uh, talking about your company, the way you're measuring things. But uh, I would say before joining the accelerator, the the major f- or failure I had it was more around people, right? Like uh, I started the company on my own, coming from a large corporation, uh, healthcare, B two B, selling more to, to physicians, like and and we were moving. I, I jumped into a tech, internet, consumer, Chinese landscape, uh, and I did it on my own. I didn't have any network in the in the tech space or internet space. Um, I was in China, and and I think. I was I was totally naive to think that I could take on very young talent that came to work with me, uh, bright mind, but they had no experience, uh, very passionate but no experience, and I had experience but not in in, in the field. So actually, we had to learn everything, <laughs> and, and it took us uh, a very long time. So, and actually, you cannot have the team that sustain uh, like this when you fail and fail and fail. Uh, can you give an example? And those you need to, and I think at, at the tune, I, I, I am. Go sure. On. No, can you give an example? Because that's really the important part of in the making, which we're coming to the close now, is we talk a lot about successes, positives. What about failures? I'm sure you've gone 
really low or however low? And what was one example of a failure in the last three years of in the making of the care voice? I think the fact that I, I picked up the, the, the right setup of team at start was a failure because it, it helped. It, it didn't um, made us, I think, go through this iteration, adaptation uh, and, and, and learn f and develop fast enough. Uh, it took us two years and a half before coming to 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 really uh, the the what the the DNA of where we are now, and um, of course we learned a lot through all these these experiments we did. But I think I lost I lost the uh, time. Just for the listeners, how would you describe what was wrong with the team that you think it was a failure? Too, uh, too young and not complementary enough. Right? We our, we didn't have a very solid tech person. Uh -huh, we didn't have a very solid uh, marketing to consumer. A Chinese guy who knows how to talk to consumers in China. Um, these were, I think, the two main uh, limitations at that time. Uh, after when we, we I've been joined by, by two co-founders and now we have a senior management team where I have like a very sweet guy coming from more the tech side, uh, a guy who has been driven um, um, salespeople and, and clients uh, in China uh, who knows how to do it. Um, I think, yeah, now we have, we have insurance background people that join us. Right. Uh, William, what about you in terms of Williams in the making, not just China hmm. Accelerator? What would you say any example of a failure or a low point or something which didn't go well? How, what was it? Can you describe one for us? And how did you handle that? Yeah, sure. So I think um, uh, the, my first startup was probably a, a pretty big low point. So I took my own money and a couple friends and started my own company while I was at SoftBank. Uh, unbeknownst to them, because I thought it was hypocritical to do uh, early stage VC without ever doing a startup of my own. Um, first mistake was actually doing a startup without being 100% focused. Uh, that's a no-no, so don't do that. <laughs> okay. uh, the second mistake is the team. Um, so I had people uh, who are on board who are great at promoting uh, a product. Um, but we didn't have a product yet. Mm -hmm. So I didn't need those team members. Right. Yeah. So I had a tech head, mm -hmm. um, but uh, the tech head was not full time. Um, so, um, and then the, the staff of the tech head were full time, but they didn't have constant supervision. Like we just invested in a company called Dream. Uh, and Dream uses data to build tech teams mm -hmm. that can work together, uh, especially for like uh, blockchain. Um, for blockchain products, it's very difficult to find it. You know, it's very difficult to hire tech and programmers anyway, uh, or developers anyway. But uh, trying to find them in blockchain is even tougher. Uh, and trying to build a tech team uh, that can work together well, if you're a non-tech person, is very difficult. Um, so Dream solves a problem that I had, and uh, that I couldn't help build a tech team. Um, that could work together properly uh, as a non-tech uh, founder. Uh, and then the third thing um, is that, uh, so um, I was a bad uh, CEO in a number of ways. I'm pretty good at selling things, strategy, partnerships, no problem. Uh, but the day-to-day -day execution and making sure people had a clear vision of what they were supposed to be doing and then making sure that they were driving to that over time, uh, that's not something I particularly enjoy. And unfortunately, with some people, including me, uh, I tend not to focus on things I don't enjoy. Right. Yeah. So I. So how I, did you handle that? You I, just said I no to the CEO. I shut the company down. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, after on the basically almost the one year anniversary, literally, you know, a month and a half after we finally launched the stupid thing, uh, shut it down. That was that was probably the most important decision I made, uh, and the only right one. 
uh, in that entire startup. Um, so as soon as you know something is not working, have the guts to just say no. And well, because you, you should, uh, it's not that. I mean, this thing was fatally flawed in so many different ways that uh, it makes sense to, uh, to, to shut it. Um, I mean, most importantly, I had another job that I was doing. Uh, right. So, yeah. It's true that making the decision earlier is very important. And, and of course, you, you may be afraid of change uh, when, when you start. But the, the more you get used to, then, then it's totally natural to make some change. And, and yeah, the second part of my entrepreneur journey, the last 18 months, we, we went through already many change. And all change are very positive because we, we know that we're going to take an advantage of those change. So we see uh, an issue, we fix it, and we move on. Uh, before that, I think I was like a bit more maybe conservative and 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 uh, and afraid of making some change, and and I, I lost some swift some decision making is critical to being an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's okay to be uh, wrong. It's not okay to do nothing. So mm-hmm. we we use management by objective in in you know which is a I think it's from HBS or Harvard or somewhere, um, but we change it to doing a performance management by objective. So we we manage by ob- objectives and goals, and then we put numerical. Uh, measures um, for them, uh, which sometimes aren't the right, you know, but we, you know, the one metric of, that matters, uh, but for each team person. And then, you know, every two weeks or every month, we talk to each team member about uh, where they are uh, in relationship to their year end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a numerical goal. Uh, so everybody has a sense of where they are. Right. Now you're allowed to change things, um, but uh, it becomes very clear when people are doing things that are off of the the goals of of the company um, through these meetings. Right. So the, the the company has a goal. Uh, the man, each of the management uh, team members have a, a goal in, in terms of the the area that he or she is managing, uh, and then um, the the team members below them then support that. Right. Just going off uh, and and closing the discussion on the failures, like you spoke about, what is uh, success factors, right, uh, from the startups who are part of a program. What tips would you like to give, like three tips to the startups who are either part of accelerators or running their own stuff to scale up to totally avoid? You've had so many learnings. So top three things you can really avoid to fall in the pit of failure. What would you say? Okay, so we have um, 300 amazing mentors mm-hmm. uh, and nine EIRs, mm-hmm. uh, and they're there to give their perspective and give their advice and give their views. Um, just because they give you their views doesn't mean you, you need to follow what they say. So in the end, it's your company. Uh, they're there to give you their perspective and their experience. Um, but it's, uh, it's as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, or as co-founders, it's your company. Uh, you need to be the one to drive. Uh, other people um, are, um, you know, other, uh, think about it like this. Uh, opinions are like noses. Everyone has one. Um, so what you need to do is take it under advisement, mm-hmm. but uh, you need to know when to apply it uh, where and, 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 and use that to drive your experiments, um, but make the decision if possible based on data as opposed to somebody's opinion. Right. Anything from you, Sebastian? What should be a complete no-no? No no marketing expense until you really have something taking off, until you have your market product fit, right? Uh, I burned a bit of cash when I started with totally stupid wrong, and you don't need that all, right? You should just start with your your brand and the team. Right. So in the last five minutes, we'll do a rapid fire. Yeah, just share like 20, 30 seconds of like quick one-liners. What profession other than your own currently would you like to attempt? I'm very happy with what I'm doing. 
Sorry, that's really freaking boring. But I, I took a 75% pay cut 11 years ago and only started getting paid in December mm-hmm. of last year. And uh, yeah, I like doing this. This is a lot of fun. I would not rather be doing anything else. I've been doing it for basically for free for 11 years. Okay, so finally I'm making money, so you yeah. need to be there. Well, I, I love entrepreneurship and I love selling. So mm-hmm. maybe one day I'll have a big team uh, selling, uh, racing. Uh, what we'll you are not good at? You said you're not good at managing day to day. Anything else you're not good at, William? Um, I'm not very empathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not super sensitive. Uh, but uh, I figure, hey, listen, people are, are, are paying me with equity or, uh, to be uh, blunt and not waste their time. Uh, other people won't do that. So I look at my lack of empathy as a service and turn it into a positive. Yeah, I think on my side, I some, I, I'm sometimes too focused on the on, on the company and the business itself, and not enough in the people around. Um, so I have some, I have really to force myself to step out and and uh, and yeah, be also with people. Uh, I think I, I, I'm close to people, but I just like sometimes you, you just focus on your own very simple business goals, right. your own roadmap, and not necessarily making the effort and bringing everybody on board. So how do you manage anger? It's it's inevitable in the work situation we are all in, especially you guys, that you might lose uh, your control at work or something. Or do you ever get upset or angry and how do you manage? I'm very, very tempered, very uh, resilient. Uh, yeah, not at all. I have, a, I have a co-founder who is like a had big temper, uh, but he can calm down, he can go work around, he needs. But myself, no problem. I think I can take any, uh, not anything because of course any, some, any some very big stuff can be. Can any be. one-liner tip for uh, startups when they get hyper or when they lose their cool, cool what one thing they should do? Walk around, <laughs> go uh, outside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the key thing is to continue to communicate. Uh, we have uh, teams with a lot of different personalities. Uh, the most important thing is to be able to continue to communicate through it. Um, you know, it's generally, hopefully not personal, I mean, we had one co-founder bit the other co-founder in the leg, and that didn't work out. But uh, oh my God, yeah, let the temper go down a bit, and then open <laughs> yeah. up, open up, and chat with your co-founder. Uh, and then so it's, uh, it's yeah, so I think it's it's very important. I mean, um, I don't really get uh, angry. I'm not super emotional. Stress, stress, and you're into health, the care-wise, yeah. So, what is your advice or any tip uh, for managing your own stress and health and peace of mind at work? Sports, prepare, sports, and um, and then yeah, be prepared for whatever tough. tough so the stuff ahead. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 little trite saying is that you have a family, friends, exercise, sleep, and work, and you get to if you're an entrepreneur or if you're a early stage VC, pick three. Uh, so I, I think the most important, you know, you have family, you can't really get rid of them, mm. um, and then you have work, and while you're doing that, uh, and then what I've generally focused on is sleep. Um, I, it doesn't work, but I, I, I try and get sleep. So I just do work and family. I don't really sleep that much. I don't do exercise and I don't do friends. Um, but um, uh, there's some hacks. So I'll give you three hacks. With the, uh, with the, um, uh, with the exercise, uh, I spend a lot of time on the phone, so I walk while I'm on the phone. Uh, with the sleep, um, a lot of entrepreneurs get insomnia. So I, I put really boring U.S. news podcasts about five feet from my ear, turned down low, so I have to concentrate on what they're saying. And since you're t- so tired anyway, usually about between 10 to 15 minutes in, you're, you're, you pass out. 
because uh, your mind goes off of all your startup problems and right. they, you're talking about some news in like Zimbabwe or something and or, or U.S. politics, which uh, uh, which is a little bit more exciting than it should be, but uh, generally puts you me to sleep. Um, and then I guess the uh, the third one is. Um, um, we, uh, we have a mentorship program and, uh, most of the mentors happen to be my friends. <laughs> so, uh, I, I've managed to hack social, um, by inviting my friends to, to mentor the startups. Uh, and we pay them in, uh, in beer and uh, cocktails. I must admit that's the best part of what I do, actually, <laughs> part of uh, being CA, a mentor program. Ending uh, with you, Sebastian, what's next? What's in the making for the Care Voice? What's coming up? Um, yeah, we're very excited because besides the offer to, uh, to insurers, we, we launch our first solution to uh, employers. So any startup owners, um, company owners, uh, we have now a solution because we feel that insurance, private health insurance is not picking it up fast enough to bring convenience uh, to help control the cost behind this kind of, of, of benefits for, for people. And we're very excited to launch the first fully uh, digitalized health insurance solution with Pingan, especially made for uh, startup teams. Uh, so that's that's very exciting. Um, yeah, we just launched three, four weeks ago, soft launch, a very good pickup for now. What would you like to ask to all the listeners? Any ask from the network of Asia Tech Postcard or people listening across countries? Anything you want to ask them for help or for anything? Yeah, I think we, I mentioned the one who are in China. Um, if you own a company, uh, you're part of a company, just ping us because I think we have a great solution to protect and energize your teams in your startup. And uh, outside China, we are launching across Asia first uh, Hong Kong market. So we have already contacted. It's more towards insurance, but uh, of course, any help uh, on private health insurance. What's in the making for China Accelerator and Mox and William Balbin? What's coming up? Anything interesting? Sure. So we build our ecosystem in a, in a number of ways. Uh, we have the startups and the mentors that we mentioned, uh, but we're also partnered with you on our corporate innovation program. Uh, I actually had a dinner last night with the, the group CEO of uh, Sanofi uh, and the head of uh, investment over there. And so we're running an accelerator program to do startup pilots for Sanofi. Uh, we do this for J&J and Unilever and yeah, Nestle and a bunch of other ones. Mm -hmm. Bosch we work together on. Mm -hmm. um, so any companies who um, want to uh, leverage uh, startups to bring innovation into the program, um, uh, please reach out. And then, of course, uh, uh, to Nisha or myself. Um, and uh, then the final one, of course, is uh, startups that want to cross borders. Um, you know, kind of please reach out to, uh, to us. Uh, we have a great program. Uh, and we love working with entrepreneurs who are trying to solve problems and make the world a better place. Right. Finale, finale. Because a lot of listeners, a lot of young listeners or otherwise, they would love to try working in a different country. What would you say is your learning or your advice, like should they take the plunge? What is that the first thing they should look into and why should they actually try to work in a different country to up their career or to, to, to scale or to grow? I change life. I think as soon as you get out of your own country, uh, you realize that uh, in your own country, everybody tends to read the same news, uh, have the same reference, have... And, and, and you go overseas, of course, you're going to start to see this among the people who travel around. But at least you see that everybody starts to have like different eyes on, on, on the globe. Um, you, you capture some needs, some trends that are, especially in countries like China, like, uh, like uh, totally amazing. And, and, uh, and these are going to feed, I think, uh, next generation of, of countries that are going to grow. So, yeah, yeah I think um, 
I think that people need to realize that there's more than one version of being right or being of right. Um, some people find it strange that I don't use a lot of the products that I invest in, um, but I'm not the target demographic. I'm not 18 year old Indonesian youth living on an island with a $75 Android handset. So my opinion is not that useful. Uh, and so I'd say uh, when you go to a another country, uh, you uh, learn how to do things differently. Um, so I can plug another one of our companies. We have a company called QLC. Uh, and what they do is they allow uh, people to do remote internships with startups, venture-backed startups around the world uh, for six weeks. I think it's cost $300. So they can get a um, try-before-you-buy sort of experience on what it's like to work with a startup in another country through a remote six-week uh, project um, uh, and uh, try and uh, see what it's like before actually p packing bags and moving because uh, sometimes that can be scary. Right. And very interestingly, when you go back to your home country, then you look at your home country with different eyes. You have much more, more appreciation. You have more step, yeah, more appreciation. You have more step back. You can figure out maybe more needs because also, uh, yeah, you have different. Uh, yeah, the different world is changing so, so far. Yeah. So in the making, we encourage everybody to venture out of your comfort zone. Be committing to the uncomfortable. Thank you so much for joining us today, William and Sebastian, and we'll see you soon. We enjoyed. Thank you, Nishta. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.